Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not A Genre, the interview edition. Uh, Each week on Music Is Not A Genre, I talk about music, I break it down, I break down the walls between genres, between types of music, I throw in some musical concepts, I discuss different artists and bands or talk to them in person, and I connect all of that to other music in the world, to my music, and to other things in the world. Uh, Thanks to everyone who has uh, subscribed and clicked and shared and read and listened and watched and and is a Patreon supporter. I appreciate all of that. Uh, With me today is Daniel Cousins. He is an audiovisualist and emotional engineer. Uh, He is also the force behind the supernatural electro-rock band Albatross Heights, which I'm very excited to talk about a little later on. And he's a classic TV nerd, meditator, and a synesthesiaist. Recent credits of Albatross Heights include World Was Born Today and Folly, which we're also going to talk about later. Daniel, how are you? Doing very well, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, yeah. I've been I've been really excited about this. Uh, it's been a it's been a road for 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 us, which has been pretty awesome and uh, and long and winding. And uh, I think that's uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited. But just to, to to clue in the people who have no idea who we are, which I'm sure are just very few people, um, can you tell in your in your own estimation uh, how tell everyone how we met. How we know each other? We had a we had a friend in common that I worked with for a little bit, and he was a drummer. And he said, "Hey, uh, you know, why don't you come play with this band?" And um, I don't. I think I came and saw you guys a time or two before I, I actually started to come join up and practice with you guys. But it was one of the only bands I knew doing. It had that pop sound, the good pop sound, but it had a songwriting and a different vibe to it and uh and it came out really big live and that's why i was i was really you know wanting to talk to you and stuff backstage and be like hey okay because at first i mean it was you know i didn't know the band i didn't hardly know this dude so he's like come see my friend's band i'm like yeah we've known each other 13 minutes um probably not coming uh and then i ended up coming and And from there we started working together and and uh and playing in wreck and and some stuff i was doing at the same time and uh kind of trading off and co-songwriting co-producing led to a bunch of acting stuff uh my acting debut i hadn't done hardly any before that uh but we have a long history with a lot of stuff it's going on well it'll be it's 18 years in may yeah 
Yeah, that's right. 18 years. 18 years. Incredible. Um, yeah, it was a pretty, you know, uh, the, so the friend we're talking about is this, uh, this guy that I uh, was friends with for quite a, quite a while, uh, who I met in acting class named Justin Nadal. And he, uh, was a, is a, is a drummer. Uh, he's no longer in the area. So, you know, kind of lost contact, but, um, I'm pretty grateful for all those connections early on because at the time I had only been in the city for I guess I guess it would have been like three years um, ish, and um, we were putting the band together. It was even I think before the name took. Um, I, we were trying to come up with the name Wreck and had had uh, a lead guitarist or two uh, come and go, and just man talk about timing just the, for, for him to have known me for maybe only a year and and you for less uh to to kind of connect the two of us that's pretty fortuitous you know pretty grateful for that uh tell uh, why don't you um tell the people out there in tv land hello yes you still there good okay um <laughs> Tell, tell everybody your tell everybody your story. Anything you want to tell, as far back as you want to go, anything you want to throw in there, tell everyone your story. Okay. Uh, yeah, I come from I come from Central Virginia originally, uh, and um, I come from a family of uh, musical people. My dad played music, my mom loved music, and my sisters all uh, were musical in, in in lots of different ways, and so I was the benefactor of a lot of people with enthusiasm with music around the house and also a big paper grocery bags full of 45s and old tapes that nobody wanted anymore. So uh, I got to listen through all of it and didn't really know what time period any of it was from, you know, at five, six years old. I'm like, yeah, Elvis Presley and ACDC, they're, they're, they probably talk to each other all the time and, and, and Diana Ross, they're probably hanging out, you know, so I'm thinking about all these people, you know, uh, with the, I don't know, just, I just said, music is what I like or what I, what I didn't, it really didn't uh, dawn on me that one thing might be soul or anything like that. Um, and uh, from there, I just, I don't know, it was dormant for a few years. I would listen to a lot of music, Casey Case and Top 40, uh, got some Casio keyboards duped around of them. They're, they're more toys uh, at the time than really serious music, but around when I was 12, I picked up guitar and got into metal. Um, played metal for a lot of years. Uh, had some fun with that. Got into like alternative and stuff from there. Got into industrial and that's where it started crossing me over into doing electronic music and experimenting with house and ambient and techno. Uh, and from there, just kind of wanted to do all of it in a big suit, maybe like an Octone Baby type thing, uh, for lack of better uh, for all you kids that were born uh, <laughs> after that, that was that was a, an old new two U two album that I think of as new U two, but it's not anymore. It's it's thirty years old. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, and that's a great way to describe it. I think you've actually used that touchstone to describe some of the work that I've done too. And I think one of the things we have in common that's really drawn me to. Uh, that drew me to your music right away was that kind of eclectic mix of influences okay. and the willingness to throw that that shit in there uh, regardless of if it's supposed to be in there or not. Yeah, well, ditto. I mean, that's, I think, what pulled me in at the uh, 
you know, at the, at the, at the first, I think it was a Nick show. I don't think it was rec. Like you said, I don't yeah. think it was there yet, but, um, you know, judging by what, what, uh, Justin listened to, I was like, yeah, you know, he likes rock and roll and some, some neat stuff and stuff like that. But I remember catching like a Gary Newman tone off a couple things you were doing at the time. And I think you even had some of the makeup on and like a tie and, uh, and like a black shirt. And yeah. I don't know if there was, well, no, you were playing a synth. You, you were playing a synth in a couple totally. of to the Telecaster. So uh, it was, that's, I think, what kind of linked us because we're like, oh, you like this? Oh, you like that too? Motown and death metal and ministry and, you know, Olivia Newton-John and also, I mean, it's like. Uh, 100%. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's what caused the mesh. I mean, like, what one thing, I, you know, I'm going on camera to say the same thing and, and I'm not paid by Nick to say this. Um, the music is not a genre concept. It's something I wholeheartedly espouse. I mean, it's just, I think it's, you dig the music or you don't, you don't have to, if you want to put it in a category to help communicate to other people for ease. Okay, great. But as long as it d doesn't become a jail, you know, I think it's just, important to say, Here's music. I completely agree. I can. Yeah. And thank you very much. I, you know, it's not like this is a concept that, that I in, invented, I, you know, I, I, I liked, the, I liked the title and, stuck with it primarily because of Catherine and, and, and her, you know, encouragement, but just that sense, like you said, of, uh, look, genres are great because they're, they're, um, an expedient. They're a good way to help people understand, have an inroad into what might be going on in the music, but that's all they are. They're kind of that inroad. And beyond that, there are way too many sub, 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 you know, classifications and distinctions and things that, that kind of rip, the idea of what that genre is apart. And any artist who does that, including you, is somebody I admire. Well, ditto. Thank you, man. I mean, that's, that's I think, why we're friends is because we we synchronize on that and, and have the whole time and, and whatever projects we were on or stuff we're talking about with other people's projects. You know, I used to, something I've come to recently, I used to say there's only good music and bad music. I don't even agree with that anymore. There's music that resonates with you or it doesn't. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just, uh, it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be good to resonate with you. I've heard some trashy stuff that I like, you know, it just, I like what I like and the stuff I don't, there's no need to shit on it. You just don't listen to it or listen to it three weeks from now. You might dig it. Who knows? You know, I totally agree. I, t I mean, I couldn't have said it better, honestly, that there's not a, it's all, it's all subjective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only things I used to make fun of. Dude, Radiohead. When I, you know, that's a that's a band that's very important to me. And uh, when I first heard them a couple times, I was like, yeah, all right, all right, that's, that's all right, cool. And then like later on, they were like Pink Floyd or Zeppelin or something to me. I was like, all right, cool, all right, this is a yardstick, you know, meter stick here to look at and kind of measure stuff against. So. Uh, well, and I think that an artist, you know, look, this is a judgment, yes, but I think an artist who is willing to keep open ears and like you said you may hear something at first and be like oh come on no no and then you know it might be a month later or a year or 10 years later you might be like oh god i see i get i appreciate it now or you may never get to that but the point is you gave it a shot and you listened to it and it's not just um because there are a lot of people out there who aren't artists who aren't creators but it's not just that sense of well Yes, it's important that it informs what you do and it expands what you do. And it also 
helps you have a more of a sense of what your own identity is, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. But just as a listener, to have that willingness to be open to things that are not in, in your inner circle, so to speak, is, is a valuable way to look at the world in general. I can't, I can't agree more. I mean, it just, and I think there's so much music happening now. It's kind of forcing it the other way. Uh, it's forcing it to go, look, you're going to have to dig everything because everything has everything in it or you don't have to dig it. But if you're, if you're going to have to deal with it on some level and uh, I don't know, just taking it back to the grocery bag with dirty 45s in it. I liked music better when I was thinking of it as, that's the record with the yellow label that has the guy screaming a chorus on it. Oh, that's the one with the purple and silver label that has the bells on it and the, and the little church thing at the end. Or here's the tic-tac-toe looking insignia that had the, you know, the gospel guy. On. I, I, just, I like thinking about it like these weird crayons instead of it's a rock thing, it's a country thing, it's a soul, you know, whatever, you know. That's, I, that brings, a question, brings up a question because... I, you know, everyone, anyone who's a music obsessive music lover has their own approach to how and why they are and the kind of the, the mechanics of, of what their, how their obsession manifests. Right. And so there are people who you, you name a song of an artist, they know they can tell you exactly what album, exactly what track, how many minutes the song is, who played on the song, et cetera, et cetera. I, I tend to be the kind of person who, if I know that stuff, I know it, but my association with the song is more like kind of the things you said, which is like, oh, that's that song where that guy has that wailing solo and he does this at the end, you know, of it or something like that. Like, it's very, it's very sonically specific and, and it's the impression that it leaves on me that, that, it, that becomes that kind of memory obsession tool as opposed to facts and figures and things like that hit on something really important that I was going to go into. And that's when I say the stuff about the synesthesia, I'm not necessarily talking about sticking a guitar chord on my tongue and seeing yellow or anything like that. Um, <laughs> what I mean is I think of music more with feelings than with, you know, with the lyrics are symbolic of this person who, went on this journey or something like that. I'm not shitting on that with other people enjoy music that way. That's not how I hear it. I'll hear a song from my past. And to this day, I'll still think of the song that when I went to get ice cream with my mom or something, or this is from that time that was on the radio at the pool party when we had pizza later. That's all I'll think of it. I mean, that sounds cheese ball as hell, but I mean, that's really how I think of music. I don't really go, this is, this is, you know, Stevie Wonder's song about the complexities of such and such. I'm like, nah, man, that was my sixth birthday song and I got a Dukes of Hazzard car or something, you know? I mean, that's, it's weird. And I know I can't cut and paste that to somebody else because they have their own experiences, but that's, that's how things get linked up for me. And that's what music is for me. It's a real weird and specific, fascinating to me thing. Doesn't make it easy to communicate it to other people because sometimes I'll be like the pizza party song, you know, People go, what the f what? <laughs> how does how does you know freaking Major Tom make you think about pizza party, you know, you know, or something like that? Those are the connections I love though, because you can go off, you know, it's like this sort of existential or um you, you know, uh six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing where you you know you can get from 
like a, a song you heard to, you know, like geopolitics in Central Asia somehow. And you had like seven different connections in there that and some of which had nothing to do with music. Things that fire together, wire together. You know, I mean, that's that's how neurons work. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, yeah. yeah, there's a, the, one, the one example that comes to mind is um, when I think of the song Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin. Um, you know, a million things might be associated with that. But the two I remember are uh, I was I was down the shore. Jersey Shore as a kid um, and walking along the Atlantic City boardwalk, I believe, or it might might have been Wildwood, and found a Led Zeppelin t-shirt, brand new, just on the boardwalk, which I now still have. Oh, that's amazing. And that was 40-some years ago. And a couple years later, I went to a birthday party, a pool party, with a classmate of mine, Tammy Bach, who is an excellent pianist, also a doctor now. I reconnected with her last year, and she was playing a piano version of Stairway to Heaven. Oh, that's cool. And I, and I remember not only that pool party connected to that song, but that when I walked outside, the song that was on the radio was Who Are You by The Who. Nice. And just I, those kind of connections are really, like you said, fired up, wired up, you know. Here's another interesting thing, and I don't want to it, – it's – this is kind of sidetracking. All right. This is kind of related and kind of sidetracking. I really, I'm going to eat up. I'm glad we're past tape and we're on uh, digital space. Cause I would have eat up a lot of tape here with this, but um, <laughs> I used to take records literally, or, and I used to think very specific things about records. So, okay. Think about, I'm going to shoot old references here. So not everybody might get it, but ACDC, think Bon Scott, ACDC, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. I thought that was recorded by a pissed off grandma, dude. I didn't think that was like some short little heavy metal guy. I thought that was like, well, I'm going to get you people, you know, and, you know, that kind of deal. And like, oh, shit, you know, something's up with this. And like uh, that kind of thing. And then there's a record like uh, I put on, I remember I was like, this is like four or five. And I would take this literally. I would I'd put a record on. And then some dude would sing, there's a hole in my heart. And I'd be running, get my mom. Oh, mom, this guy needs help, dude. You know, I'm taking everything 100% as it is. I'm not thinking like these are metaphors. These are, you know, effects, anything like that. You know, if something blows up in a song, I think something just fucking blew but- up. I don't know how far we can go with curse here. <laughs> no, go for it. And look, and, and that's, I love that because that shows a kind of, Oh boy, shaking things. Uh, that shows a kind of sensitivity that uh, not everyone has, not just for music, but in the world in general. And and there's a con- there's there's such a visceral connection to the things that you're listening to yeah. that you you're absorbing them in a in a kind of a real world feel. It's like you said, it's not an artist presenting a work of art, but as a kid, you were taking that stuff in and being like, this is a slice of life. Like what it's like it might as well have been Walter Cronkite, man. I'm sitting here like uh gonna make sure every reference is old as crap. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but it's like it's in the news. Like, you know, Mick Jagger said something, I'm like, dog crap, you know, or you know, Carly Simon, you know, whoa somebody's so vain here whatever i'm not trying to be cheesy but i really took it as this is what's going on somebody recorded a journal of their day and this is what happened you know 
not. There was, yeah, there were songs that's that be, that I have. I had a similar thing where they just they scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Yeah, and and once or twice it was because of the way it sounded, but mostly it was the lyrical content. You know, like wow, what the hell is this guy saying or this woman saying? That's scary. You know, like I couldn't distance myself from the music. The music was just. It was like there was no no barrier. You know. Crimson and Clover scared the shit out of me as a kid because um, of all of its effects and stuff. And like, so there'd be like, ah, 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 and I'm like, what? And then the, the original, right? Solo and I, what did you say? The original version of that? Tom yeah, G. yeah. Uh, and, um, and that would be like, wah, 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 wah. I was like, oh, geez, now the Charlie Brown teacher's in the track. You know, what's going on? <laughs> I can't even keep up. So, uh, but it was a fascinating world and it definitely informed and created a healthy confusion because now my world is it with music is skewed i would be in i think you and maybe another person maybe two other people max i'd be able to be in a, a band meeting or some kind of idea meeting about where to go on a track or a song we're making and you might get you guys might get it but sometimes people might be like what why would you even attack it that way and i'm like oh because you know this you know this happened I have weird ways and I, a couple of years, try to, try to really exercise all those out. I mean, no, I want to get to be more regular. And then in the last few years, it's been like, now bring all the weirdness back. We need that. <laughs> I agree. And, and I think, see, and I think the, the, not only the, let's say two things come to mind. The more you try to stamp out your own so-called weirdness, weirdness, the, the further away you get from the real passion of the, work that you want to do but also and this is i think the 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 secret for uh, like any artist to, to my mind especially one as you know well developed you know as diverse as you is that you think because of the strictures you put inside yourself you think you're getting away from your weirdness but other people are still hearing it so why not just embrace that shit and just let it be like you said the fullest that it can be go with the flow you're feeling that stuff for a reason. You know, if it really bothers you and you don't like it, that's something else. But if you continue to feel it, it might be something you have to deal with. You know, you might want to go get curious at the least about it, you know. Um, Explore. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, at least, you yeah, don't fight it. You don't have to espouse it. And, but get curious and let yourself be curious and show yourself love during the process. Don't beat yourself up and say, I need to be this that is not easy to do. I was I even did a, a podcast on how um, things in a way like you just mentioned these days it's it's a little easier to hear and absorb many different influences and types of music because it's all out there and there's no you know, there's no there's no uh, digital gatekeeper to say like you can't release this to the masses. You can release it yourself. Somebody's going to hear it. You know, but we grew up, we're old enough to remember that the way you got music out was so dictated by the industry and by the media and by the club owners and, and by all of that, that they really kind of forced a mindset on you of were you fitting into a certain slot or was something you were doing, like you said, too weird or or any of that. And you had to fight that kind of self um, criticism in order just to to stay true to you to yourself and and re like you said respect and love yourself yeah you really had was an uphill battle and a lot of people 
these days might ask, well, why are you doing that to yourself? It's like, it used to be the world, man. That used to be like, you do this and you line up or you don't get hurt. It wasn't, you know, being celebrated for being weird. I don't know. I mean, before maybe that might be giants. I don't think I heard of a lot of people saying, yeah, being weird is good. Before that, it's you're never going to get a deal, you know? Oh, God. So true. That's true. Like, if you were weird, that was part of your gimmick. That was part of the thing that they marketed. Like, here's a weird band or a weird-looking, you know, uh, Boy George, you know? He was weird, you know, and that was the best they can do as far as how to, you know, classify him. But if you weren't supposed to be weird, then that didn't fly. They, they didn't know what to do with it. You know, they couldn't put it's it anywhere. Yeah. Which, which I have to ask you a question because a couple of things. First of all, I want to get way more into uh, your music history because you said a bunch of things about um, you shifting from metal to electronic and all of that that I think really I want to kind of you know flesh out. But this this one idea keeps popping up in my head because we've been talking a lot about the uh, impression that music makes on you and being open to hearing new things and all of that. Um, I, I just read an article this morning about a, okay, genre, you know, a classification of music that, uh, is apparently pretty new called hyper pop. Yeah. Yeah. I only saw that term. I'm talking, man. I only saw that term like four days ago on something. Yeah. And, and so it's like 100 Gex and, and, uh, Dorian Electra and some bands like that, where it's like, if you imagine, the the glitchiest hip-hop that existed you know 15 years ago and auto-tune and you know all the different things that digitally you could do multiply that by a thousand like the 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 glitch is the point with this stuff okay and i remember first hearing some stuff from 100 gex last year and then i just listened to this this dorian electra like a couple days ago and it's jarring. It's jarring in the way this this journalist said, in the way like, uh, you know, second wave of punk was, where it was getting into speed punk and stuff like that. Like that, how that was jarring for people back then is how this is jarring now. And I thought to myself, well, wow, I think there may be some point where I'll get used to this, you know, or I might incorporate a percentage of some of that in some future song or, or project. But in first blush, man, that was, it was like a slap of like a hundred mile an hour wind in, in your face. I got to listen to it. Yeah. I haven't checked it out, but I, I remember in the nineties at the time, the newest genre, I think this is around 90, 95, the newest genre at the time. And I meant, this wasn't just like, here's grunge, here's heavy grunge, here's light grunge. Now, not just an attenuation on something that existed, something that was slam-ass new. Um, drum and bass, when that came out, I remember I was like, what is this? And it wasn't positive at first when I heard it. I was like, I don't know, man. That sounds like somebody just put the record on double speed and just and just left it that way. But um, I got into it. I mean, after you get over, it's like the first time you had beer or wine or some kind of thing that's supposed to be good, but isn't at first. I don't know. It's acquired taste. Maybe this will be that. Maybe we'll listen to Hyper Pop and it'll, it'll be, I know Radiohead was coming back to them. That was definitely that way. His voice was not working me the right way at first. I was like, that's a whiny bitch. And then I'm like, 
no, that dude's got. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what, that makes so much sense. Like, in fact, I think if you listen in particular, actually, either of those artists, 100 Gex or Dorian, and I'm only saying that because I don't know a lot about Hyperpop, and those are the two I've heard. There's drum and bass influence in there, like 100%. 100%. It's like drum and bass filtered, the, filtered through um, like a CD player that's not playing the CD right, so everything sounds like... <laughs> like that that's what it sounds like and at first i was like come on what what's going on here and then you listen more and you're like oh that's kind of funny and that's kind of interesting and and something that's always struck me is that very often new music that that hits people as not as weird or even funny or novelty Mm -hmm. a good portion of that eventually just becomes the norm it becomes incorporated into pop music even that's right that's right and you know I was worried for a long time. Actually, this was for me uh, after about grunge or industrial, maybe around, no, pre-industrial. I was worried that everything was sounding like rehash of, you know, everything that I liked had its roots in something old. And I would be like, when something new comes out, will I ever be able to enjoy it? Am I just so based in these old Legos that when somebody puts down a new weird shaped Lego, it won't compute? And I'm pleasantly surprised that more times than not, I was able to assimilate to the new stuff. Um, dubstep, I didn't as easily, the American dubstep, American dubstep, because it sounded to me like the same thing over and over. Um, but most things I was able to go like, yeah, like, well, I mean, like, like trap, you know, trap at first I thought was just like, this is crunk redone. Um, with fast trilling hi-hats. And it's so much more than that. It's actually got some some really nice stuff. And even some of the, the auto-tune stuff I, that I used to push my buttons, now I was like, I like how that's being done. So I hope everybody out there can, you know, can can s- sit with something long enough to, to let it in. I'm not saying whether this is going to get my my goat or not you know it may not and i'm you're not responsible for liking everything but i want to give it a chance i want to go check it out you know because i've been pleasantly surprised sometimes by some of these weird new things yeah me too and i think i i think and i'm glad you're talking kind of to the people out there too because that's a it's an important it's it's one of the i guess i don't know it sounds overblown but it's one of the tenets of my mission in a sense is to try to not just foster conversation about this but a new way of thinking that is more kind of open to the possibility that something that is foreign to you might might eventually not just be not foreign but enjoyable and yeah. in, in music and in people you know why buffets exist and spotify is a buffet apple music's a buffet i mean go check it out there's no harm to do it yeah yeah and that's, and I think that's one of the reasons why, in you know, these days, you, I'm starting to, you know, hear about kids or young adults who are creating music, who have influences that are so, so diverse, that what they're making sounds actually pretty fresh. Yeah, like you said, you can hear the roots of always, you know, there's this one I keep mentioning her is uh, from Britain, Rina Sawayama who has this kind of like pop R&B thing going on mixed with like new metal, but not shades of both, like genuine both, 
just mashed together. And to be able to not just, to be able to have those two influences, but then say, you know what, I'm going to put them together and see what happens, I think comes from this new, you know, whatever wave, next wave digital age, where it is setting aside the issues that artists have with this, which are valid, it is super cheap and easy to find any damn track or type of music you want anywhere. Yeah, man, that it really is. And, and yeah. And the discovery services have gotten better too. You know, so I, you know, in Spotify, yeah, it's not an ad for Spotify, but what I do like now is uh, the radios that used to be artist radios, man, it goes down to song radios. I mean, and this is probably old news to anybody watching this this podcast but i mean if you have a favorite song you can right click on the song and make a radio from that song you don't even have to do it at the artist level and i've actually found a lot of nice new stuff that way and it's really cool i look yeah and i've mentioned spotify before too and you, what's funny is you actually really kind of nudge me towards spotify because at the time i was on um oh geez uh, I had I had dabbled in Pandora, kind of you know pros and cons of that. I did uh, I was I had Sirius XM because I had a car, and um, I also was doing a whole lot of LimeWire and FrostWire and creating you know free mix mixes. Uh, and I was buy, but mainly what I was doing was buying CDs. And, yeah. and I'm one of these later like second wave adopter people where I don't jump on the new thing right away. I kind of give it some time. And it was really your kind of touting, like, you know, it was like I thought of a song and found it and played it immediately that I was like, I have to check this out. And it was a few years ago now, but it was it was pretty, you know, a few years after streaming services had been introduced. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm not I'm not a quick adopter at all. And streaming services are something I got on fast just because there were certain things I wanted to to really get at. And I you know, the record stores started drying up. I mean, this happened in a certain order, of course. It wasn't overnight, but, uh, you know, we used to have in, in New York City, Virgin Megastore, you know, God rest its soul. That was yeah. that was the last real big good one. I know there's there's niche good ones, and I hope a lot of them made it through the current times with the mm -hmm. pandemic. But um, that, was a, that was one where you could pretty much, closest thing to Spotify, <laughs> you could walk in and know that what you wanted was going to be in there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and 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 when, especially when they um, and I remember this in Barnes and Noble, and even in Tower when they started installing listening stations, yeah. you know, which I know are a lot older than we remember, but but just that that you know ease of well, okay, you're in front of this console that has these CDs laid out here, and though you know ten of those are on this listening station, just pop in and listen, had that similar kind of feel to it. It was a call back to the record stores in the 50s and 60s where you just at the end of an aisle might have had, you know, a record player and been able to take your records to it and preview them, you know. It's uh Yeah, there's a there's a coffee shop in Long Island City that still does that. Is it Sweet uh, Leaf or Yeah. Yeah, they have a record player in a stack and they're like there's a listening tech booth over there, go to town, you know. And... I shazammed many a thing from Sweet Leaf that was playing. There was like a record of an old preacher doing this kind of gospel funk thing from 1971 that i was i heard coming out of there on my way there i'm like what the heck is that yeah and it was like some short run record it was on somebody youtubed it and captured it 
Um, but it was some short run record and, and I found it, you know, by what they played. It's cool. And I love that. I love that there are still ways to, to discover music now other than just YouTube and Spotify and all of that, you know. Everything's always here in some level. If, if nothing, this is what I love that's different about how you and I grew up. Nothing ever goes away. No, yet trends might not be in focus, but we grew up with the trend is gone. You can't make that music anymore. It's bullshit. I mean, it's like you always could anyway. But the attitude wasn't allowing of it. Now, something is on the stage and it moves to the left or right of the stage. It doesn't go away. If as much as one person has passion for that music, it's not gone. It's not gone. And that one person, you can multiply by a million and you can actually find, each one of them can find the connection now because of the, you know, being online. Uh, just not to, you know promo but i'll promo i did a whole podcast about that whole idea of trends not really being a thing anymore you know like maybe in the with the the tastemakers and money makers in the industry are still trying to push certain things but as far as like fans and outlets go no you know and that is a wonderful thing i want to i want to i want to say two things because we have limited time you know um and and i think first of all at some point this year, I, I, I'd like to do this again, and you know, with you, uh, because there are, and this will lead to the second point. There are so many musical concepts and a breaking down of certain things that we've only just touched on, that I would think they'd be wonderful to get into, just as a as kind of an auxiliary interview in and of itself. This is basically our everybody. This is our beer talks put on blast. Is what this? Yeah, is. that's right. That's right. This was me and uh, Nick's pub talks. We would talk about these things and these phases and all. And now we're bringing it to you. Exactly. Of. Yeah. It's this, cool. this though. It's just coming out this way again. You know. No, totally. And that's why I knew I had a feeling that would happen, and I'm just so excited. But you make a good point, which is this is our beer talks. We've known each other for, like you said, 18 years. And um, many people out there might know one of us, but don't know both of us, or might not know us at all. And because one of the my you know purposes here is to clue people in on who each each guest is, I'd like to spend the rest of our let's say 15, 20 minutes or so, kind of going a little bit more into you know you and what you do and the music that you have released. And I want to start by what I had mentioned before, which is at a certain point, um, and and you can please correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that you, you know, moved to the city almost 20 years ago or 20 years ago. And that, you know, um, you know, prior to that, when you were, you know, in Virginia, you were in the metal bands and things, but at somewhere within there, you started listening to, and then, you know, transitioning to electronic music one of the things that drew me to what you what you do or what you did back then certainly and and still is a part of what you do is that you, you the uniqueness of your sound is in your ability to mesh electronic with metal slash rock with pop among many other things but that's what it sounded like to me and you know one of the things i've always loved about what you do oh that's cool man thank you yeah, um, I wish I could say there was, I mean, that I just started grabbing pieces and putting them over top of pieces that, that 
shouldn't be there. And, and really not for the reason of, I want to create this Frankenstein. It was just like, I would, I'd listen to Metallica or whatever, you know, Slayer and stuff like that, Sabbath. And then I'd go listen to Gary Newman or stuff from when I was six or seven and still like that and, and pull that forward. So I would take, you know, after I picked up the guitar, probably about three or so years later, I'd buy, you know, analog synthesizers, which at the time people were throwing them away. You couldn't get rid of them fast enough. So I was picking them up for one and two hundred dollars. Happy that I could get them, not because they were some boutique item. I, they were important to me at the time. But I started just playing. And I was into prog rock, too. So that's where a lot of the, the, the synth stuff came from, like the Rush and the Yes and all that. Um, so I wanted to play like that Tom Sawyer kind of sound over top of some metal or, uh, you know, the, the poly synth from, from jump or, or some Howard Jones stuff over top of some metal. You know, I wasn't the first guy to do it. The thousandth, you know, or whatever, 10,000th, but I wanted to do it my way. I had some ideas to do it. And then eventually computers became faster, had more storage and stuff like that. And right around the time I got into college, I started making, you know, trance and house music um, and really went deep in that direction. Okay. So you had really, yeah, even starting in college, you would start to get into that. Okay. Yeah. I, around 94, 95 is when I started doing the first like ambient trance house, a little bit of drum and bass stuff. And I would play, I would actually, I wasn't a DJ at the time, but I would play at, at raves and stuff like that around the richmond area which we had at the time a decent scene in the middle in the mid 90s we had some some good talent come through and i you know, I'd play the earlier slots obviously but um it was fun it was fun you know nice and, and, and it was kind of tennis without a net there wasn't really a huge screwing up you could have done you know at that time i mean it was so new um uh but it was a good time to start now, at what point, because um, when I, I think when I met you, I always, in the back of my mind, think of you as the Invisible Kid. Oh, okay. And, and so at what point did you take on that name? That was 2005. All right. So it was a little bit after we met. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I Which, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of retroactively named it. I think I was using a Daniel or my middle name, like Daniel Lee or Daniel wasn't Daniel seven at that point, but it was something else. Um, and, um, and then the invisible kid, because I was trying to bandize it a little bit, you know, and you helped with that. And, uh, I appreciate it. So. Well, and back at you there, you know, what's interesting about that period is that there had certainly been people who had band names who were just solo, you know, people doing music. But at that point in the early mid, mid O's, it really started to become a thing. And partly because, like you said, you know, technology was changing and computers were making it easier to create a band sound as a solo artist. That's right. You know, I always remember for some reason, um, I heard a song off a soundtrack uh, from a, a band at the time, I thought, uh, called Badly Drawn Boy. Yeah. And... I was shocked, like, oh, my God, that's just one guy, you know, and that's because it was so early in that trend, you know. Yeah, that's right. Manchester dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and so you, you know, kind of, uh, to, you know, what people I love to tell people this because uh, uh, they may they probably haven't heard it. But at that point in the mid O's, uh, when I was putting the first version of Wreck together, 
my my background for the previous god maybe 15 years had been band oriented uh i had early on i had the four track and the synth and the drum machine and all and i was doing more electronic music and that was it was an early love of mine but i shot out of that into band work up until uh, really around 0507 when you had this like you, like huge role in putting together rex first official album parts and labor not only were you playing on it and singing on it and everything but in just in terms of the production and arrangement and, and, and engineering and, and ideas, sonic ideas that you, you know, helped to you co-produced it basically, you know, and, and what, what that did was reopen my ears and heart really to electronic music again, to the point where the next couple of rec albums that came out were much more of a mix of electronic and, and live than anything that had come before it. And I and I really attribute that to your influence. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, it was at the time I had gone deep with dance music. And then I was coming back out around the time, not away from dance music, but just kind of, I want to get back into songwriting again and singing. And that was around the time I started hitting, uh, you know, came to New York and then met you. So by the time we were at that point, I was swinging back into songwriting mode. So I was just, it wasn't all like, hey, let me show you how to make a techno song. I was more like, hey, the thing you're trying to do, you can do with this. You don't even need band members, you know? Uh, and I mean, to achieve that result, you know, knowing that you might want band members or something like that later, but if you wanted to, you don't need it to realize the idea. What you want to do with it past that can be completely open, you know? Right, right. But to be able to just create it, you know, at first and put it out into the world, to have the that luxury and the freedom to, to be able to put those elements together and make it sound as close to you know what it is in your brain as possible it's a pretty great thing yeah. it's fun it's a lot of fun yeah you know and to this day daniel still you know uh offers up uh, plugins and and other you know uh suggestions and things like that as far as recording goes which is always a really valuable it's valuable to have a person like this in your life it's audio games <laughs> didn't fall prey to video game addiction but audio games i damn sure did <laughs> ah, nice i like how you put that so you were you were invisible kid for a while and you released several how many how many uh albums or eps did you release under that that was we had a couple remix records i think it was five in total one one big album one one that was like 14 15 songs the rest were like you know seven songers something like that Okay, and then at what point did you transition to Daniel 7? Well, yeah, this thing called Daniel 7 came around, I think it was like 2012. I wanted at that time, I'll try to summarize this fast. I was watching a lot more. The Invisible Kid was faceless and was kind of faceless. I didn't want to be this invisible see-through guy, but people started making jokes like, ah, you should, you should do gigs and not be on stage, or you should not be seen or i'm like dude it's just i needed a name i grabbed a name out the dictionary come on i don't i don't let's not make this a gimmick you know and then i just started getting tired of it but i also started wanting to give a little more edge to something because i was watching a lot of alice cooper and uh and like glam documentaries from the 70s and and uh things that had more of a deliberate face on it and a little bit more edge and i brought forward some spacey sounds and the electronic was still there and that's what the Daniel Seven thing was for a lot of years. I did that for a, for about another seven years. 
now and so if you had to summarize what would you say was the 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 most you know the core difference between what you did is invisible kid and what you did is Daniel seven or edge more personality for better for worse more attitude and more edge not a wildly different sound just a little bit more yelling screaming not noise on purpose but not afraid to do it I guess I, I want to mention this before we get to the next phase uh, because uh, you know it deserves mentioning but anybody who's out there who is curious please check out the links below because this is not this is not somebody tinkering in a studio of music this is music that that you know hundreds of millions of people should be into uh, it's and and one of the and I think and this is not something we talk about a whole hell of a lot, but I, but I talked about this with a previous guest, uh, Stephanie Kay. Um, funny enough, she mentioned how she's not a fan of uh, Rod Stewart's music. And, you know, and I was like, eh, you know, it's a judgment. But the point she made was it's the voice. You know, it's not about any quality or technical skill or whatever. It's does the voice resonate with you? And something that I have always... Uh, you know, gravitated towards with Daniel's music, with your music, is your voice. You know, we talk a lot about your production. We talk a lot about, like you said, we're going, we're transitioning, Invisible Kid, electronic. We're getting edgier. We're going to go to your next phase very soon. Um, but what has stayed true through all of that, even when, even when you've tried new things and achieved them, and you know, developed your vocals in the way that you want to on a, on a personal level and on a performance level. It's it's the the expressiveness of the way you sing is very magnetic, and that's why I want people to know that. Please listen to this stuff. I appreciate that, man, because that was a real self-conscious thing for me for a very long time that you helped with, and I mean, I think there was some vocal coaching. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of early on, I think it was right at the top of when we met, maybe even before I was like formally in the band, or I don't know, or somewhere overlapped there. You overlapped, yeah. Yeah, because I remember I was singing in previous projects real low and having no power down there. And you're like, dude, I don't think you're in your range. Try this. And I was like, I didn't know it. You know, I can sing up there. And this is like 2003, I think we were looking at this. I still had teaching skills because I've been teaching for like 10 years in Jersey and that wasn't that far out of it. But man, yeah, you came at a good time for that because at this point, I don't know what I would tell anybody, but yeah, I'm glad it helped. You know, the only one that could really go I appreciate it because I just did, I didn't think. You know, I thought I was just trying this thing over and over and crashing. You know, and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, man. That's well, and to have your voice and your guitar playing and your synth playing, and I could probably list eight other things on many rec recordings was a real thrill for me. So, cool. you know, and and I like the fact like we we both. Uh, we performed together in the full rec band, but then also, you know, as a duo uh, under under his band's name, under my band name, and you know, and, and all of that. And that always, that was always uh, just a great vibe. You know, we mesh well together when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. Um, now to bring us up to the present. So at a certain point, fairly recently, you transitioned uh, okay. from. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he keep screwing with the name? Yeah. <laughs> from uh, from Daniel 7, well, yeah, from Daniel 7 to 
Albatross Heights, which I find to be such an intriguing name. Uh, tell tell everybody about that. I appreciate it. That was a that was going to uh, start as a spinoff project, and um, you know the Daniel Seven stuff was cool, but I, I was actually at that time getting tired of the edginess and tired of the. I don't know. There was there was there was a darker tone that I think I than I intended on the stuff that came out during Daniel Seven. I'm not going to like lambasted or be i'm sorry i went there but i'm kind of like i took that journey i you know that might have been where i was at in the, in the teens in the 2010s you know i don't need to go back there um i, I i've got the songs if i want to listen to them you know that's cool and maybe play, you know i'm not ruling out playing any of them again or remaking them but i was gravitating towards around 2017 i started gravitating towards classic songwriting and and at the same time, soundscapes and, and, and wanting to tie together stuff like a Burt Bacharach or a Neil Diamond or that kind of songwriting that is like three and four, two and three minutes to the point, says what needs to say, not overblown, really reduced and boiled down and sweet orchestration and stuff like that mixed with the new kind of things I learned from house culture and uh, repetitiveness and meditativeness. And it's a lighter sound. And I don't mean it's an easier sound, but it's a more flowing sound is what I'm trying to do. It's a more flowing sound. It still might have some weight to it, but it's not me driving a point down a throat. It's more like, mm. I don't know. It's, I don't know how to say, I don't want to say like it's impressionistic. That's, it sounds like, being like a little it's a little less maybe deterministic for the listener like you're leaving it open for them i like leaving it open i like some people have said uh dude i can't understand this song i don't know what it's about i was like i've designed it to mean something to anybody that hears it i'm i'm i might have a meaning behind it but i'm not gonna go say that's my jailbreak song that's my breakup song that's my dead dog song you know i'm not gonna i don't want to do that if somebody, I want to bring it back to somebody wants to think that's their pool party or that's their day they got married or something like that. I want that to mean that for them. And I'm not going to yeah. take it. From them. They own that at that point. They bought it. They own it. You know, you know it's funny because I uh, there's a song I did, man, over 20 years ago now that I think of as the the song about being in such a dark place in a relationship that it's pretty much going to be ending and a guy just uh wrote to me who i had been i'd been in a play with back in philly and he answered an email that i had sent out and he said i'll always remember that song of yours on the way down helped get me through medical school that's amazing. That's and I was like, I'd love to know what he thinks of it. What, 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 why, why, you know, like, and I think it goes to what you're saying, which is don't determine for the listener what a song means or how they get into it. Yeah. That doesn't preclude you from having your own journey with the song. Mind you. I don't, I don't agree with some of these people who are like, it all belongs to you and never to me again. No, that's not what we're saying. It gets copied and pasted for however the way the universe works, man. It's like everybody's got their own meaning to it and let it, let it be. And then it's fun to see some of that come back, you know? Yeah. And, and see, have somebody come back with their meaning and you go like, I guess it could. And more often than not for me, I'll write a song 
I'll be writing phrases down and I'll find out what I wrote with what it means maybe two months later. Yeah, that, see, that's thrilling to me. You're not, and you're not the first uh, songwriter I've heard say that. It's happened to me uh, as well, but like very, very famous people have said that. It's like you are working out or pulling out some subconscious thoughts that don't, that don't take on the, uh, you know, the more conscious meaning for you until you flesh them out and they've lived out for a while. Yeah, most of the stuff lives under the surface, not above. You know, if you think you've got these three bits of information and you know the story, you don't know who. <laughs> yeah, no, which is awesome. Yeah, and and what's cool about I think the new stuff that you're doing is it has almost a, I would say uh, like a mindscape sound to it, where it is really allowing the the ideas that you're putting forth not just in the music itself but also in the lyrics to to live and breathe in there and you're creating like this um uh for want of a better word like a safe bubble for people to enter into and just you know feel it and then eventually think it too you know i i am creating a place yeah i'm i'm i don't care about creating a music business or a music legacy or a rock star or this or that i want to make worlds that's what i want to do uh, i know that might sound horribly pretentious again but i want to make worlds i want to make flavors like weird things that that hopefully people will dig and and can do what they want with uh, it's not the world doesn't need another band the world yeah. doesn't need one more band the, we need people that can make you feel you know I agree. I completely agree. And look, music serves a lot of purposes for a lot of people. And to me, anybody who listens for any reason, deliberately so, and chooses, you know, is, is wonderful. But my favorite has always been being carried away by a song or an album, just being, you know, being in that world in a way that you lose track of time. That's, that's exactly right. I want to do what it did to me as a kid. Save yeah. the being scared of the scary grandma ACDC. Uh, but I mean, like, I want to do what it did, you know, to me to be like, you don't even have to know what language that is. You don't have to know whatever. You pick it up and it makes you feel a certain way. And hopefully good. You know, if it makes you feel bad, I don't want you to listen. To it. <laughs> Unless you want to feel bad, then sure. You know, yeah. go to town. That's fine. See, this is why we're going to need to talk again, because then you mentioned, you know, like the, in a different language. And in the last, you know, year or so, with all the time in our hands, um, I've been compelled to get into uh, contemporary Hungarian music and Korean music and Japanese music and all this stuff where their interpretation of what's considered Western music is so unique that, you know, even if you don't understand what they're saying, you kind of get the feel of what they're trying to do. I, on some file share service, there was some eight gig zip or something. No, it wasn't that big, but it was big. It was big of this Iranian garage rock from like 67 to like 76 and was called pomegranates. And it's like, I listened to this and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on here, but this is damn cool, man. Oh man. This guy wow. was talking about 
pine cones and saltwater taffy. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what, what the lyrics are here, but it's damn cool what's coming across. Sometimes I feel like abstracting that out and being forced to just feel the tone and the vibe kind of gets some stuff out the way, you know? God, yeah. And just, that just shows how much there's out there in the world that we, uh, you know, we don't know about. And I know it's vice versa, but, you know, because we live in America, I kind of feel like, as big of a country as it is with as many diverse influences, we shut out a lot of what else is going on in the world in every way, musically, politically, socially, you know, and, and for, you know, I had never heard of what you just talked about. I didn't know that anything like that existed in, in you know, that, in, in that country at that time. And that's amazing. There's such cool stuff out there. Yeah. Such cool stuff, yeah. So before we finish then, your, your newest, you know, releases as far as, I guess, singles, right, would be Folly and the World Was Born Today. Well, by the time this lands, I'm going to have something out uh, called Young Sun. That's the newest thing I'm working on. I'm going to have that out in March. Okay, great. And we're going to add that, that link to this, too. I'm going to actually uh, watch me write on a piece of paper, old school. Um, I'm going to put add link so that people will have the link to Young Sun as well. And you're going to send me all the links to this stuff here. But not only was, you know, and I, I've listened to all of it, and again, I have to implore people, just go listen. You know, go to albatrossheights.com and just listen to, to all of this stuff. And any, any older stuff that's either on there or somewhere else from your other incarnations, listen to that too, people. Um, Folly has that exact kind of sound that you were talking about, wanting to achieve with Albatross Heights, which I love. I'm happy with that. Thank you. I'm happy with that one. It's a simple little bitty. It's not that long. It said what it needed to say. And um, it just felt good to write. It's very inviting. It's a really inviting. Sound. I'm glad you said that because, uh, I mean, that's that's the way it's meant to be. And um, I hope people hear the fun or hear the flow in it uh, because it is a dude having fun. Yeah, and you can tell. And that's uh, that's great. If you're having fun, other people listening are having fun. And then you hooked up with somebody named Christopher Thomas Richardson, who did a remix of the other song, The World Was Born Today. He's in Texas, and I hope he has heat right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's, God, I yeah. think he's a little off-center from, from all that going on. I don't think he had extreme stuff going on. I talked to him Wednesday. But yeah, he's a really great artist. He does a lot of different stuff, but mainly uh, electronic right now um, and live stream stuff. And uh, we, we traded a couple of things. Uh, something actually, as this just came out, he has a song that I did a couple of tracks on. Um, and I should add that to the links too. I haven't done all my housekeeping here. Um, <laughs> but uh, that came out yesterday. And um, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So we did a little trade a Rooney on that. You know, I did kind of a co thing with him and he did a, a remix for me on World Was Born Today about two months ago. And how did you hook up with him? He was just somebody I met on a Facebook group oh, uh, for music and just uh, started talking about things and trading influences and had a bunch of similar ones. So I'm like, hey, let's see where this goes, you know? God, yeah, that's awesome. Really nice dude. Yeah. Yeah. Good connections. Yeah, I'm excited to hear the new one too, Young Son. Um, yeah, thanks, man. I, you know, and the other thing we're, we're going to wrap up here soon is that Many artists are multi-talented, right? And one thing I can say about you is that uh, you have a real knack for uh, graphic representation of your music. Oh, 
whether it's your covers or the videos you make, like you really, it, it meshes so well with the sound of the songs and the albums. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. And it's just good, pleasant to look at. Like the Albatross Heights stuff, really, I just love that feel that I get from seeing that. That's great. I mean, I, I am trying to make it one piece, and I'm, I'm really trying to go video heavy with this stuff, both in content and music videos as, mm. I, as I get this stuff going. And um, having a lot of fun with video right now, a little limited with the weather and the pandemic. But uh, let's see what we can do with it and, and get some some flavors out there, you know. That's awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope everybody out there is looking forward to it. We are absolutely going to do this again because there's way too much more to talk about. Uh, thank you, though, for, for this this hour. It was awesome. Thank you, man. I feel like we need to do the next one with all my old references and all the stuff we're bringing up. We need to do the re- we need to do the next podcast probably from the the uh, the wooden rocking chairs on the porch at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> the big but the big checkers and all that yeah oh there we go man, well, uh, you know little stalk of wheat between our teeth and yeah 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 i like that i like that well either that or we're both gonna like heavily research everything that's come out in the last two months and then just drop things like we know what we're talking about Oh, that's obviously derivative of blah blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and you guys are gonna have to wait for the next edition of uh, you know my interviews with Daniel Cousins, uh, aka Invisible Kid Daniel Seven at Albatross Heights. Um, Don't know when that will be, but it's absolutely gonna be sometime before the end of this calendar year. Uh, Thank you again to daniel for uh hanging out with us today as if we were in a bar which hopefully we will be again before the end of this year uh yeah and uh thanks to all of you as always for listening and watching and reading and clicking and listening again and sharing and subscribing and uh for being a supporter Uh, i appreciate all of it and all of you and uh i will talk to you next time thank you guys thank you nick It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.